between you and me, right where you are right in this moment, is exactly where you were meant to be. So, wherever that may be, just be. To be a new you. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Orgasmic Life Podcast. For permission slip to raise your standards and live an even more amazing life. Now, if you're feeling like that's way out of the ball game and you're really suffering with like pain in your body, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, like these emotions run a lot of people's lives and that's not by accident. Our culture is set up to keep us in those emotions because it's easier to control people when they're in those emotions. But if you're on an awakening journey and you have recognized that those are there, you have taken the most crucial step to get out of that, which is to become aware that it's actually happening. Just time to awaken, to bring all the parts of yourself back to this present moment and explore the joy that is your life when you live full out, fully expressed, fully harnessing the joygasmic potential of your body and yourself. Anything is possible. And especially we are here to tell you that deep and fulfilling love is possible and is available for you when you choose that for yourself. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and good night. Wherever you are in the world, welcome, a whole hearty welcome to the Joygasmic Life Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure and honor today to interview Deborah Pascali Bonaro, a world-renowned inspirational speaker, filmmaker, doula trainer, childbirth educator, and author. author. Deborah's latest book, an Amazon number one new release, The Ultimate Guide to Sex After Baby, Secrets to Love and Intimacy, brings together her passion for pleasure in every aspect of life with her Jersey girl attitude of talking about what no one else is talking about. She is director of the award-winning documentary, Orgasmic Birth, The Best Kept Secret, which is how I met her, and co-writer of Orgasmic Birth, Your Guide to a Safe, Satisfying, and Pleasurable Birth, and creatrix of the revolutionary online childbirth classes, Pleasurable Birth Essentials, which prepares expectant parents to be positively prepared for birth and focuses on the intimate and sexual nature of birth. Deborah's passion comes from her over 30 years of working with women, men, midwives, doulas, physicians, and nurses in over 40 countries, bringing comfort, love, and pleasure to birth and life. To learn more, you can follow her on Orgasmic, at Orgasmic Birth on Instagram, at Oberth on Facebook, and visit orgasmicbirth.com to receive your 10 free pleasurable birth tips along with discounts on her film and classes. I am absolutely honored to welcome Deborah to the podcast today. Zen. Yeah. Wonderful. Welcoming, yeah, right into, if I'm not traveling, then I bring the travel here. So I'm surrounded with just the gifts of love and um, things that have meant so much to me that I've received around the world. That's incredible. Well, it, I mean, it's just so vibrant and colorful. Absolutely love it. I, I love doing these calls because I get to peer into people's people's little homes and their spaces and, and really see that. So it's really exciting. Oh, thank you. My office, right? So <laughs> I, it's always really, that is the benefit, right? Like COVID has given us a lot of challenges and hardships and sadly losses, but there also is the silver lining of getting to connect to each other on different levels, you know, literally into each other's homes and spaces. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm honored to be here with you today and inviting you into my home and sharing in yours. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited. It's such an honor to, to get to interview you today and to have this conversation. Um, I read your bio before you came on. So just so you know, that's that's already there. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, I encountered you through the orgasmic birth movie, uh, which just absolutely opened my mind as to what was possible 
You know, I'd seen business of being born before I had my son and then a fairly challenging, but also fairly easy based on, you know, sort of the spectrum of, of hospital birth. It was a fairly easy hospital birth, but it was really challenging to me. And so to understand, you know, through your work that in fact, orgasmic birth is possible, just like mind, mind blown, right? And so I'm hoping that during the course of our conversation today, we can blow some other people's minds and also really help them integrate the understanding that this is absolutely a choice that you make and you decide upon and you, and then you open into and you surrender into. So for those people who aren't familiar, who might be listening with orgasmic birth, can you give me just like your, your perspective on what exactly is an orgasmic birth? Oh, thank you. I love this question. And I so appreciate being able to frame that because I think, and I know this from the term being so many places around the world that for some people, when you hear orgasmic and birth together, it pushes two buttons, right? Sexuality and birth, both two things that we kind of culture, religion, society, community, our own ancestry might've tainted in different ways with different perceptions about each of them separately and then we put them together and sometimes it just oh how can I even <laughs> go there but when we defined orgasmic birth and I say we because it was a journey and a collaboration of many people in making our documentary orgasmic birth and then I co-authored the book orgasmic birth your guide to a safe satisfying and pleasurable birth with dear friend midwife Elizabeth Davis and through all that we were able to really say let's go deep into that definition because so many people use it in different ways and so our definition is broad enough to honor those people that are incredibly blessed with an orgasm we call a birthgasm that at some point in labor and birth they experience that orgasm and it's not just any old orgasm um i didn't have a birthgasm but from interviewing thousands of people it is the most expansive almost like being one with the universe orgasm that people talk about. But there are many other people, myself included and Elizabeth Davis included, that orgasmic birth is for anyone that really prepares for their birth, that owns that birth is whole, body, mind, spirit, sexuality, that is part of their own decision-making in collaboration with their care team, finds their power and experiences moments of joy, ecstasy, and pleasure. And even that experience of release, of feeling your body and and participating and then being born into the world, um, giving you that expansive, wow, this is incredible, ecstatic, orgasmic feeling. So we believe by our definition being broad enough, it allows everyone to have an orgasmic birth. And if you're listening and you had moments of power, of joy, of ecstasy, of love, of connection, of pleasure, and that doesn't mean that we don't have challenge or pain too. Birth can hold it all for us. I hope you'll start, right? Using the word that it's orgasmic because our current culture has a language for pain and fear and orgasmic birth is a language of pleasure. Absolutely, absolutely. As I started diving into this, there was sort of this realization of like, how much of this is, you know, the sort of that birthgasm that you talked about, which is what people automatically think of, and how much of orgasmic birth when I started studying the hormones and all of the things that are happening in the body, I was like, I think every birth is orgasmic, not maybe not every birth, but every birth has the potential to be orgasmic. And so much of, you know, the birth experience is sort of erased by the hormones of birth as well, for good reasons. Um, and, and so I'm, I sort of pondering, maybe women are having more birth or birth orgasms or orgasmic births than they really think they, they are just because of the lim the limited perspective of their definition for what an orgasmic birth is. Tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and what I found too is of the people that experience a birthgasm, very few of them tell anyone. I've been, I've had hundreds of people come up to me and so many of them bearing shame, like head down, eyes down, 
whispering, like it happened to me. And I'm like, look up, like, why do you feel shame in this? And they will say to me, I didn't even tell my partner. I didn't tell my best friend. You're the first person. And sometimes it's months later, sometimes it's years later that I've told. And so I think we don't even have a clue of how many people experience a birthgasm in labor because they don't wanna share it. They feel like something's wrong because everybody else talks about such pain that why did I feel this expansive moment of ecstasy and pleasure? And then when you add to that, as you said, like when we look at the hormones of labor and what birth has the potential for, the fact that we don't prepare for that, the fact that we don't give a language to it, so many people, when you talk about, did you have any moments of joy, love, connection, um, they'll go, of course, even if they had a really long labor, even if labor asked more of them than they imagined, even if for the safety of their baby, they birthed in a different way. I've been at cesarean births that were so joyful and blissful and loving and caring that I was so happy when those parents were able to say, I had an orgasmic cesarean birth. And I said, yes, don't let anyone take your power away. Don't let anyone put you down. This is an opportunity for everyone, but people need to know about it and be able to create a language that feels safe for them so they can truly celebrate the amazing gift that labor gives us in so many ways. Yeah. So what, what is the, you know, you've been to lots and lots of births and is, what is the sensation sort of in the room while this is happening? You know, people talk about the experience of birth and, and getting high on other people's births. Like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. And I'm a doula, right? So I've been blessed to be invited in and honored to support so many people in their birth. And I think there's different things. You know, I am blessed with people that really do want to do a lot of work and preparation or mindful where they give birth, with whom they give birth. And I'm sure they come to me because they want to have that more private, intimate, loving, sacred, orgasmic birth. So I do see that they're choosing caregivers that are open and respectful and giving them their privacy. And we have those moments, even those of us that honor birth as a part of sexual life and honor the intimacy and the privacy that birth can ask of you. There are moments where we're kind of stepping back going, wow, like the sounds of birth sound like great sex, right? The, the <laughs> eye contact, the touch between sometimes the person giving birth and their partner, they're intimate. So even we have that moment of like, wow, we're, we have to be very cautious and respectful of being present at this time and even address our own, like, why are we feeling uncomfortable? And when you mm. think about then the general providers who never learned that birth was a part of sexual life. And yeah. we truly have sterilized birth. We strip your clothing away to hospital gowns. We've done everything possible to sterilize away the emotion, the sacredness and the sexuality. And so when people start adding that back in, the system often feels uncomfortable. People feel uncomfortable because their own triggers are set. So those of us that support birth must do that deep work of what are our own traumas? What are our own perceptions about birth? How do we feel about sexuality and intimacy so we can be fully present to hold the space for others? So having said that, we are only at the beginning of turning that corner where caregivers are opening to that, where birthing environments don't look like sick rooms, like on a good day, would you want to not being pregnant? You know, how many people would say, you know, tonight, I can't wait to be intimate either with myself or a partner. And I really want to go to a hospital room. I kind of love the smell and the ambiance. And we all go, no, no way. 
right? No, nobody says that. Nobody says, it's Friday night, honey. Let's go to the hospital and have a hot date. Like, right. nobody says that. Nobody says that. Never mind. Never mind. And some stranger might put their finger, will put their fingers in your vagina. You know, it's like, totally. Me? Like, yeah. It's crazy. So like when we say, you know, why isn't this happening more? We have a dysfunctional model of maternity care. And I do want to say that it's with the best intent intentions. And certainly our use of technology interventions, cesarean birth saves lives. So this is not about dissing um, our providers or dissing what we have available. It's about creating a new system. It's about training providers in a more whole way and then creating a better balance because we often overuse valuable resources today and we're underusing the, the woman, the birthing person's own ability to produce hormones and to understand what we have to do to create that privacy and safety and intimacy that's needed. So we're only seeing a few orgasmic bursts by any definition once we're in a hospital, way more at home or a birth center, because people that are in an environment that they feel safe in, that they are respected in, are going to experience these feelings so much more often, as you know. Lots of work to do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So much work to do. And, and it's really beautiful. You know, you mentioned earlier, like there's been challenges and beauties in COVID and, you know, the challenges of hospital birth during COVID are absolutely putting more people towards home birth, towards staying at home, finding different care providers and researching different opportunities for them to, to have support during their birthing process. And I think that's absolutely a fabulous thing because I personally have some challenges with the experience of hospital birth and the way that that's set up and, and sort of like the, the sanity check of like, does this really make sense to me? Um, you know, I really appreciate you have obviously this like broad, like there's so many possibilities and it's, it's possible to have, you know, the, the people who are in those systems, I think I'm still coming from a bit more of a contracted place of like, oh, I'm so grumpy with these people. Why are they doing that? You know, and, and I can see there's like, there's softness and there's acceptance and there's wisdom in the way that, that you approach it. And it's like, oh, that's really, really appealing. So gross for me there. Um, let's, let's- well, we need everyone to change, right? So yeah. for me, it's not about putting anybody down because we never grow with blame or shame, right. but how can we engage everyone to this change? Because I believe in my deepest heart and I, believe you do too, that we have to change this so that we can have for those people that either need or want, they should have an orgasmic birth in a hospital. We should have home birth basically in a hospital. Um, but I agree with you. It's been so wonderful to see so many people that COVID has shined a light of people saying, well, if I'm healthy, why would I go where sick people are? And so many more people choosing other birth options. Um, and it's the first time they're seeing it through that lens. So interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and it, I love the sort of the, the lifting of the veil, the, the, the seeing that people are doing in terms of different options and what's going on. Let's talk a little bit about the hormones of birth. You know, you touched on it earlier. Um, Obviously, we've we've touched on this idea that a dark, quiet place, you know, there's a story of the mama cat giving birth. Where does she go under your bed in the corner in the closet, you know, as far away from other people as she can to a quiet, peaceful place. Talk to me a little bit about why that happens. Why does the mammal want to do that? And what are the hormones at play? Yeah, such an important question. And, you know, being in birth work for 30 years, we intuitively knew that darkness and quiet and night and privacy and safety made birth go quicker and easier, but we didn't have the science. And it was a dear friend of mine. She's featured in orgasmic birth and I just love her and her work. Dr. Sarah Buckley really jumped in and did one of the first kind of papers and overviews on the hormonal physiology of childbirth, bringing together all the data that had been done, but putting it in such a beautiful way and really showing us that as mammals, like we're no different than that cat or that puppy, we need that same darkness and safety and privacy. So she really helped us in that report, look at the hormones of labor. And there are so many of them, but the ones I always like to think about 
first are oxytocin, that hormone of love. Um, it's also that shy hormone. So it's only produced under the right conditions. And we certainly know that when we're afraid or when we're anxious and we're more in the stress response, the adrenaline and the cortisol, those stress hormones will impede the release of oxytocin. Oxytocin needs that safety, privacy, and unobserved, that darkness. We're even starting to learn that oxytocin synergizes best with melatonin. Mm. And that fascinates me because we produce the most melatonin during the night and in darkness, which would be why other mammals, humans included, often are doing well and birthing in the middle of the night or beginning labor in the middle of the night. So as we start learning the conditions that are needed, we can start doing a lot better. And oxytocin um, is what's produced even through the computer, I believe, with eye contact, absolutely, absolutely. with connection, <laughs> with love, right? If we were together, that hug touches oxytocin, but it's also part of our sexuality, nipple stimulation, masturbation, orgasm is the peak of oxytocin in our everyday life. Birth is the peak of oxytocin in our entire life in the moments after giving birth. So when you look at that oxytocin is an essential hormone of sexuality and orgasm, then we can understand how orgasmic birth or the potential to run those same hormones and have those same ecstatic feelings is possible. And then we add to oxytocin, the beta endorphins and if you run or an athlete or have done anything where you've pushed your body to the burn, to that place of like, I can't go. And then all of a sudden you get those feel good feelings that allow you to go beyond. That's the beta endorphins. That's that athlete or that runner's high that brings them past that point. And that's what we get in labor, right? When we get in labor and we have to face that challenge that point of like, this is so hard. I can't do it as a doula. When I see people reach that point, I always inside smile because I go, here comes the flood of beta endorphins. And it's almost like someone gives you natural morphine. And that's when they'll be in the most intense part of labor. And in between, they'll doze. Or they'll just go, as some cultures call it, they'll leave their body. Some cultures actually have traditions that you must go to spirit world at this point and bring your baby's soul back to earth. Or we call it labor land. So nature doesn't leave us alone in the challenge. It gives us now the beta endorphins, the hormone of pleasure that comes in and helps us to find more comfort and more pleasure. And so both beta endorphin and oxytocin, which play a part in sexuality, now play a part in birth. And what's so interesting is just like an in intimacy, if we're stressed, if we're nervous, if we don't feel safe, if we're afraid, we all know as women, our body shuts down, right? There's just like a no way. Uh -uh, and not happening now, right? Like it's not the right time, the right place, the right person. Um, and that's what happens in labor. Like if we don't get into that right place, that safe, sensuous to allow the hormones to flow, if we stay in fear, if we stay in stress, our body stays shut down. But the minute we find that flow, that place, and we can get the hormones flowing, and then labor gets stronger and stronger with oxytocin giving us more sensations, then we get the beta endorphins. And what's so interesting with adrenaline and the stress hormones is they actually come back when you're fully dilated and you get this kick of adrenaline now that at this point actually gives you the energy to get up and push your baby out, right? And so adrenaline or stress early in the labor prolongs, stops, impedes, makes labor harder and more painful. 
But at the right moment, when the other hormones are bubbling up in our brains, it actually gives us the push to birth our baby. And that's the same in female orgasm, that any of that stress too early shuts us down, but it is adrenaline that gives us the push to orgasm. So the sequence of hormones really triggers in the same way, needs the same conditions. And we know that there are times where maybe we enjoy intimacy alone or with a partner, and it's not about coming to orgasm, it's enjoying the pleasure in the moment. Um, and sometimes if we focus too much on the orgasm, it can elude you even more. And that's where I say in birth two, a birthgasm should never be a performance standard. We have enough to think about in birth. We don't need <laughs> even more. But when we understand the hormones and know that there's still lots of pleasure in there and whether we have an orgasm or not may or may not happen, but we still can help ourselves to have a gentler, easier, more pleasurable birth by understanding the hormones, how we um, allow them to flow in a good circumstance and how we can bring that knowledge of our hormones to birth. And those are just a few, there's even a lot more, but those are the main ones. Yeah, maybe we can get, get you to come back on at some point and we can dive really deep into the hormones of birth. Um, I'm curious about DMT in relationship to birth, because this is something I'd heard before, this idea that there's like this transcendental sort of psychotropic experience that is flooding through mom's body and baby's body in sort of those last moments of birth. And I'm, I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about that. Well, we know that as we shift our hormones, right, and as labor progresses, we go into different brainwave states. And so when you're getting those peaks of beta endorphins and oxytocin and that kind of altered state of consciousness, as you're talking about, right, you're going into theta state, which is often trance. And mm. so if you've ever done trance in meditation, sometimes in prayer and chant in dance, we all can find different ways to get into that theta or that trance state at different times. When you're in there, it is a completely altered state of consciousness. I often like to say to this is for me anyway, and for many people where their intuition rides, right, mm -hmm. where we get into that deep knowing state without knowing, right, it's intuition, we're being guided, whether we call that ancestral wisdom, our own wisdom, we all have different ways of kind of acknowledging where that knowing comes from. And I think that's the beauty in birth. That's why cultures have said you go to spirit world and bring that spirit back. They're honoring that you're in this I don't want to call it a void because then it's like a lock. You're in this fullest space. You're in, you have access to more than we usually have access to on any given day. And I think when we can see that ability in birth, when we cannot be afraid of it, but say, wow, to get into that space where my baby and I are so connected to the universe, to ancestry, to each other, to the deepest love possible, and we can be guided by listening to that. When we're in that fear state, when we give away our power to other people and we say our doctor, our midwife, our nurse, our partner, somebody else is going to make decisions for us, we don't allow ourselves to open to that intuitive, deep knowing and inner wisdom. So I think however people and everybody in their own culture, belief or religion may have a different term for where they go. But if we honor that it's universal, when we look in all different belief systems, we still find that labor has this space. And I love this. It's the, it's loving the, we don't really know enough about it yet, but we know that it's been there forever. And it really can guide us. I'm sometimes with someone in labor, and they're in that space. And like, let's just say a monitor is saying the baby's not doing well. And I'll ask them, what does their knowing tell them? 
And they'll either know, yes, you know, the baby, something's not right. I think the cord's in this way and I just need to move so we can get the baby off the cord. And they'll find the perfect position that provides the safety they need. Or sometimes they'll just say, there's nothing at all. My baby's fine. Like they know inside. And I think that from a medical perspective, we missed this opportunity to always check in and ask people, what do you feel? Talk to your baby, what's going on? And the combination of using medicine and using intuitive wisdom, I think is a beautiful blend. I hope we'll do more of in the future because I think what people access in that time, can I share one amazing story absolutely, about this? Absolutely, you can so, share anything you want. <laughs> as a doula, I really am so honored that I often journey with people if they have more children. Mm. So I have this beautiful of like seeing baby one welcomed and two, three, sometimes four, five, six. So this was a client of mine that I had been with for baby one. And, and for a first baby, she had a really gentle birth. Now she had done a lot of preparation work really kind of clearing her past traumas, really exploring um, both body, mind, spirit, and sexuality of birth, really doing a lot of deep work with her partner so that they cleared the space between their relationship and each other to be welcoming their baby. Um, and it was a beautiful labor. I always encourage clients to create birth ambiance so they had the lighting, right? We're sensuous beings. And when we're in labor, every sense is heightened. So what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch, and important to plan for each of them, what keeps each of them safe and intimate. And I always like a little sexy too, and gets you those yeah. hormones going. So they did that and this birth was quite beautiful. She labored moving and with water and dancing and birthed her baby powerfully. She wanted to squat, it felt right. So she squatted her baby into the world. Baby number two came very similarly, you know, they prepped again and were kissing and touching even more and trusting even more because the first time it's normal to have fear and fear mm -hmm. will pop up here and there. So it's not that we shouldn't have fear. It's just that we have tools to address the fears in labor and to really feel supported in them and listened and heard. So baby two, a little bit quicker. Um, and now baby three, right? So we're even worried maybe this will be too quick, right? Like she, her fear then was, I want to enjoy some of labor. I don't want this baby to be like a roller coaster of just waking up in labor and boom, I'm giving birth, you know? <laughs> so baby number two is coming a little quicker. Yeah, so really common. Really baby common. three, I mean, yeah. 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 And so we're having, you know, a little bit, she's like, oh, I don't want it this quick, you know, but it's where she's managing well and, and really in a beautiful way. And now it comes time to birth her baby. She gets in her normal birth position for the other two, squatting, normal. gets ready to, yeah, ease that baby out, right? And baby's not coming. And baby's not coming. And she tries some other positions and baby's not coming. And she's never pushed a baby out more than 20 minutes. We're at 40 minutes, an mm. hour. And we're not really seeing a lot of baby yet. Like where's this baby hiding, right? Why isn't it coming? <laughs> we get to an hour and a half and the midwife says, you know, I hate to do this, but I've got to call my backup because we have time limits, right? On pushing, especially baby number three. And, you know, we might need a consult to decide at what point might we want more intervention. So while she goes off to consult with the doctor, I say to my client, I know you have this deep inner wisdom and connection between you and your baby. And I know you've accessed it before. Can you access now 
and ask your baby what's going on. What do the two of you need right now to safely birth your baby? And she just poof, dropped in and came back out and said, I need to go on the toilet. I need to move. And she knew exactly away. She said, my other babies were all under seven pounds. This baby is eight pounds, four ounces. And this baby says, needs a little bit more room on one side because so often we labor symmetrically right and mm -hmm. sometimes that asymmetrical is key well she did exactly what she got and in no time that baby was born and wow. i could tell you so many stories like that where it would have been also easy to just say okay get the doctor and turn to technology to bring that baby out and, you know, they would have done it and done it safely. But I think so many times we don't realize that accessing that deep intuitive wisdom and knowing and trusting and believing in yourself, you have access to a lot more than we give knowledge to. And even that midwife and doctor um, said to me later, how wonderful, because like for them, it was amazing to see that she knew exactly what she needed to do to safely birth her baby. Yeah, and I think I think that's a, a fabulous story in terms of referencing that inner wisdom. Oh my gosh, if we get stuck anywhere along the way in labor, then what, <clears throat> excuse me, what is that inner wisdom? What is that experience that says, I know she knows she knew the weight of her baby and her body's like, you're just like, wow, like there's, she's so in tune with that entire field. And like you were talking about earlier, sort of that union consciousness where time and space disappear and her and baby are like only sort of vaguely separate things. You know, they're, they're very in tune and absolutely wonderful that you were able to support her in doing that and then releasing. And it's interesting too, because you started that story saying, she didn't really want labor to go so fast. So there's something in her psyche that's going, hmm, let's just see if we get, you know, I actually wanna be here a little bit longer. Let's stay for another 45 minutes, hour and a half, whatever it is, because I just wanna be in this experience a little bit more. And there are so, so many things, especially if people haven't done the inner prep work ahead of time, you know, fear of be, becoming and actually becoming a mother, fear of yes. the, the work that's gonna come with another baby if you've got other children. Um, like you said, working on the partnership dynamics, if there's challenges in the partnership dynamics that can cause issues. I know with my son, I, he was born with the, the cord around his neck. And I so clearly saw that that was like throat chakra stuff. There was so much communication issues between me and his, his bio dad is just like, oh, like when he was born, I was like, of course, like that makes sense that that was a, an issue, even though it doesn't have to be an issue. Right. But right. Um, it was like, oh, like that's a symbol that represents the tightness and the constriction of that, of that throat and that ability to communicate. And it's like, oh, there's, there's so many things. So I, I mean, your story is a beautiful example. If women are birthing with assistance, without assistance, and they get into those stuck places where they're feeling anxious and they're feeling worried, or maybe labor's not progressing the way that they thought it would, stuff like that. What is a really practical tool or an example that you can give for helping people tune back into that wisdom and then find their way sort of towards the birth of their baby? Such an important question because I, I was blessed to be trained by Penny Simpkin. She's one of the founders of Dona International. She's still my mentor. And I, I still remember vividly, like all the 30 years ago, you know, training with Penny and having her really talk about how so much of labor we believe is physical, like it's taking a long time because there's something physically happening in being able to birth the baby. But she said to me early on, she felt like 80% was emotional and that 20% was physical. And she taught me a tool that I pass on and teach today and I feel is so important is to ask people, obviously, um, they can do it for themselves, but if you're the partner or the doula or offering support to make sure you have permission to check in during labor, to just ask the question, what's going through your mind? Mm. And it's a really simple question. And it sounds like, especially me as a doula, like I'm prying, like, 
tell me, you know, what are you thinking? And I always give the disclaimer prenatally that when I ask that question, you don't have to tell me anything. It's a self check-in. You might even, the answer to that might be that you want to be all alone and like go to the toilet, take a shower, because often if you're holding an emotion, I always say anything you hold in and labor holds your baby in. So if you have a thought that you're not expressing, it doesn't seem like it's correlated, but I believe it helps hold the baby in until you let it out. And often when I ask that question, what's going through your mind, it's followed by a lot of tears because whatever that thought is needs to release in tears. And interesting, tears let adrenaline out of your body. And having just said adrenaline holds labor back, it's the perfect way to cry it out go in the shower, let the water wash the tears away, and you get the privacy. Now, some people might want to tell their partner, maybe they don't. Some people might want to tell their doula or their midwife, maybe they don't. So the question is asked with no obligation, only for that self-check-in, self-reflection, but with the openness that you've chosen a team that if you do want to share, they will honor and respect and hold whatever you share in confidence. And if people tell me difficult things. My word is that not only will I keep it confidential, but I will do everything I can postpartum to provide resources for healing or connection or because if you share something deep, right, I wouldn't want to just not acknowledge that you shared that. But I will tell you, and you alluded to it before, that for a lot of people, it's fear of becoming a parent. You know, my mother was a great mother. Can I do it? My mother was an awful mother. I don't want to become her. Um, You know, my partner and I, our relationship is really struggling. What's bringing a new life in going to do? Um, my partner and I are so in love and we've only been together a few months and the baby came along and how is the baby going to change this dynamic? Like whether it's a great dynamic or whether it's a challenging dynamic, it's amazing that almost all labors that I'm at come to a point where I can sense that the body is working hard but we're not seeing the progress. And I know that the mind is holding it back. Mm. And when we can find the way to what's going through your mind or whatever, and I say to people, if that doesn't resonate for you, give me your words. Mm -hmm. What would you like me to ask that would allow you to access that and give you the permission to feel safe enough to release the thought? And I'm not a therapist. Labor's not a therapy moment. So it's not about having someone there to process with you. It's not even a matter that you're going to resolve it, right? Like if your relationship is terrible or financially, you don't know how you're going to survive. No one's going to be able to change that for you in the moment, but to give voice to it and to find the way to safely release it for this moment It's amazing. I could tell thousands of stories of asking that question, having a really good, sometimes hysterical cry, and then going from three to 10 and pushing a baby out in 20 minutes, that that cry really released everything that was holding the body back. Absolutely. And when when we think about the psoas muscle, which is that muscle that wraps around from the back through the hip ligaments and whatnot, we think about that as part of the central nervous system that holds our stress, you know, our our tension, our trauma stored in our hips, in our bodies, then, oh my gosh, we're opening all those ligaments. We're moving them apart. The hormones are loosening and stretching them. So there's room in the body for the baby to come through. Of course, all of those things are going to come up. Of course, you're going to have any of, you know, any of those past traumas. Uh, We talk about women who have experienced sexual abuse in the past and how much that comes up during labor, how much all of that unsafety, any unsafety that's in there. And of course, it's like we can't solve it in the moment, but we can absolutely give it expression in the moment, which is a huge part of solving it in terms of in terms of the body. Right. Because if the body's holding on to it. And it's like you said, it's holding on. It's got this like uh, clench thing happening. It's like, oh, I have to, I have to keep these muscles tight in order to keep myself safe from that past trauma. And it's like, well, 
that's really not going to help in labor. In labor, you got to like, you know, you got to get to that loosey goosey and, and let it all go and let, and let it all be bare and, and just surrender to the moment and, and to the experience. And I can totally see how, you know, those muscles and that pain clenching. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my it's friends, oh, if I can, one of my friends uh, told me a story about her labor and she was doing pretty good, felt good. And then she got to a place where it got stuck and she realized that she needed to have a serious conversation with her partner who was there with her, who was supporting her labor, but they were at a fairly new, like first year of dating kind of thing when, when they got pregnant and she wasn't really sure if he was in it for the long haul with her. And it's like, of course, that's going to, everything's going to clamp up. You just like, what, you know, like, are you here? Am I going to be abandoned? What's happening? And, and so she, she paused, not paused labor completely. Right. But like labor slowed down. She was able to stop. She had a serious conversation with him. It was like, are you here? Are you going anywhere? You have to, not you have to stay, but do you want to stay and be in relationship with me? And as soon as they had that conversation, boom, you know, body opens and there's the baby. And I mean, I'm sure you have thousands and thousands and thousands of versions of those stories, right? It is so amazing though. And then we think about it, like, why isn't this common knowledge, right? Like those of us that know birth or have experienced birth, we know that emotional holding holds the baby in, but we don't often hear people preparing for birth with that, you know, what might come up and what are your coping mechanisms and how can you open and let that out just for the moment, if not, you know, sometimes it is healing. So I do want to, we should add that, especially, I mean, one of the things I've been so touched with um, in both the, the film Orgasmic Birth and the book, we never would have done either without honoring that for many people, they're survivors of sexual abuse or past emotional or physical abuse. And I think the scene in our film where Helen, who's a survivor of sexual abuse, tells her birth story and she's literally weaving like her yarn and it's the fabric of her life coming together because for her, her birth was a pivot, a major healing point of reclaiming her body. And I hear that from so many survivors that the ability to birth in their way, being honored and respected is a really a reclaiming moment. So we have to look at that birth is this opportunity to be so vulnerable, the most ever we're opening to the deepest part of ourselves in every way, but it's also an opportunity for incredible healing and knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I think a big part of that is, is that DMT experience. It's like it was present there at our birth, whatever sort of experiences we've been through in our lifetime up to that point is like, it's like a whole body nervous system reset and flush when, when done right. Right. When it's done right, when it's done, you know, challengingly or with lots of uh, traumatic intervention or whatever that might be, then, well, we're resetting the nervous system in a different way that maybe isn't supportive and isn't pleasurable or, um, transformative in a positive way maybe it's transformative Correct. in a negative way um i want to talk a little bit about uh you you mentioned in in the notes we took before we started talking this idea of that their fear has shut their curiosity down so there's this idea you know a lot of women have had really traumatic first births and that's why they start looking for the kind of work that we do what is what are some of those ideas around fear and curiosity around exploring birth Yeah. And it's such a complicated one, right? Because I think sometimes the fear is our own experience. Like how were we born into the world as a baby? We were, babies are conscious beings. They participate in their labor. They're co-producing hormones with their birthing parent. They're literally moving and pushing their way out. So that's our first experience with birth. And if that was challenging, difficult, if our own mother was in a stress mode, so we were being bathed in stress hormones, we have all this trauma that for many people shuts them down, right? They don't wanna know much about birth because 
their experience with birth was really hard. Sometimes it's generational. You know, we're birthing forward the stories and the wisdom um, from our ancestors. And we're really starting to learn like that we were an egg inside our mother when she was inside her mother. So we literally begin inside our grandmother, right? And we're knowing that these genetics that. are there. And so I have to believe the stories are there too. So when we look mm -hmm. at fear, I always start with that kind of fear where, what have the stories been? What has your experience been? what are the things that we need to heal or clear or claim? Because like in my case, the stories and the experiences were really positive. So mm. I think that's what brought me into doing the work that I'm doing is that I had this strong belief in the ecstasy and the power of birth. But for people that don't, that's a beginning place. And then the cultural messages. I mean, the media is full and culture is full and sometimes religion is full of birth being painful, being challenging, being, you know, this really hard point. And there are some people that see that and are like, I want to be prepared. I want to know everything so that I can overcome it. But my experience is that's a smaller percentage. Mm. Fear usually uh, shuts people down. And so instead of taking the power to get that knowledge so they can overcome it, many people feel safety is in just putting their body, their baby into the hands of a caregiver who will then make the decisions and they perceive as knowing more. And I think that's a lot of the mistakes that we've made, that medicine certainly, as we said, has some benefits, but we're learning today that the overuse of medicine has actually put people at risk. And we've stripped away this ability to have the awakening, the intuition, the power of birth that not only gives you this opportunity for an orgasmic birth, but leads you into parenting, into your relationship with your partner in such amazing ways. And when we take away this moment of birth, when we give the power to someone else and we just survive, but we don't thrive, I think it's taking away our power in parenting and future relationships as well. So for me, this is like a, you hit on a huge question is how do we help people that have either past trauma, intergenerational, their own birth, or their fears are so great from whatever reason about birth. How do we help them to open to this knowledge rather than run away from it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, th I think a huge part of it you touched on earlier, which is that compassionate listening. It's like understanding people have been through challenging experiences and allowing that healing. Maybe people aren't necessarily looking for an orgasmic birth, but they're looking to move away from the painful birth that they already had. And it's like, oh, that that in itself is is a big step versus being like, well, that was shitty. Let's do it again. You know, it's like, uh, let me think about that, you know, and and the framing that we give it as well, if we if we frame sort of the medical experience or like a sort of that that uh, cascade of interventions that people talk about like oh if we frame that in a way that says that's not where I want to go at all what are all of the inner resources that I have first before I even touch that conversation before I even move into that conversation how can I personally you know empower myself and bring myself into connection because you know from what I'm hearing from you and from other people that I've interviewed so much of this journey of pleasurable birth is even just being like, wow, I'm a self-capable woman. I, I can do this on my own. I, I don't need to look to other people for support. And for humans who have been really, uh, I would say like tromped down by a lot of the, the educational systems and the medical systems and stuff like that, there's, there's not a lot of, what does your inner wisdom say? There's not a lot of that going on. And so when we can, when we can tune back into that is absolutely, absolutely powerful. Now you've taught all over the world. You, you do work in Bali and like Bali is a beautiful, wonderful place. It's dear to my heart. I got to spend six months living in Ubud, actually not too far from um, the Bumi Sihat. Bumi Sihat. 
oh my gosh, it's been ages since I've been there, but I lived really close to there and, and got to tour the facility. And so I'm just curious about your perspective on how different cultures approach birth and maybe some of the things you've seen in non sort of North American cultures that are, that are working well that we could bring in. Yeah. I mean, what's so amazing and it's so great that you were in Bali. It's like my heart center, right? That's why I have all this behind me. I keep Bali just around me all the time and, and the work of <clears throat> midwife Robin Lim and Bumi Sehat. But I've, I've been really blessed to attend births in many countries around the world. And the one thing that I have to say is birth is the same, right? Like our bodies work. It doesn't matter <laughs> the different skin color or race or religion or, you know, economic status. Like our bodies are amazing. They were designed to give birth. I think what really varies around the world is what are people's connection to birth and nature. Mm. And so when we look at kind of our, our Western culture, where sometimes people have no idea where the moon is, they haven't walked in the woods, we have a disconnect from nature in many ways, and many times a disconnect from our own body and listening to our rhythms and our needs and what fully nourishes us um, body, mind, spirit, and sexuality too. Cultures, as you know, like Bali, they celebrate sexuality. They are very much celebrating moon cycles. Their rituals revolve around it. People are very connected to their own body rhythms and natural rhythms. I mm -hmm. do think that sets them up for approaching labor in a different way, having a different connection. So many parts of the world, birth has not been taken so far away too. And mm. so we look, at least in America, we started moving birth into hospital between 1920 and 1940. In many other parts of the world, it hasn't been that long. So there's still a connection to people growing up and remembering birth and mm. seeing birth happening in nature. Just, you'd love this, recently before COVID, last time I was in Bali, I was sitting around with some of the women that were the elders of the village, asking them their birth stories, because mm. I love to ask birth stories. Okay. And they kind of like giggled and said, well, I don't think you want to hear our story. It's like, you know, way before there was any care or whatever. And I said, yes, that's why I want to hear your story, because it's only been more recent that you have hospitals here and birth centers. And they said, oh, as women, we always would go into the river. And I said, into the river. And they said, yeah, because water feels so good. And we would go in to labor in the river. We often would come out to birth the baby, but it was just very traditional to connect and take that walk and be in nature and go down by the river. And I thought, wow. And these, some of the women were younger than me. So I was like, it just perspective. We don't have that in America, right? Mm. Because it's already been a hundred years that we've medicalized birth. So to your story around the world, it really varies on at what point birth was really medicalized. It varies greatly to how it was medicalized in North America. We literally put down, um, and, really made our midwives often illegal or illegal and medicine took over typically white males, right? We have such yeah. a history of racism and sexism in medical care so that our mod model took the turn of where we are today. If we look to other cultures and countries, women and midwives wisdom was honored. So instead of when they made transitions to medicine, taking away midwives and midwifery wisdom and knowledge that was incorporated into the system. So there are many layers to why birth is different in the way that it's viewed both by women and birthing families, as well as the system. But the interesting thing is it's really been recent. Like we were more the same everywhere the last hundred years, we made different changes based on our relationship to medicine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you know, water birthing is totally making a resurgence and just like, oh my gosh, I've been in those rivers in Bali, just like lying in the water. You're like, it's so hot out. It feels so nice to be so cold. You know, I'm from Canada. I don't think of rivers as being hot. They're like frigid places that make your blood freeze, you know, but in <laughs> Bali, it's like, oh my God, that's a beautiful place to be. And I have these, as you said that, I just have this memory of like ah. lying 
river and having the water like pull my hair and tug on my skin. And it's like, oh my gosh, all of those sensations sort of like engaging you with your physical body and connecting you and being, being in that place of connection at one with nature like, oh my gosh. And then again, that sort of that adrenaline rush that makes me go like, I gotta get out of this water so my baby doesn't float downstream, right? Like I gotta, I gotta get out and birth it on land. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, like I could just imagine. But I have this like funny image of like the placenta still attached to the baby sort of like flopping in the river. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm sure it's happened somewhere. Oh some point but like probably maybe even not because the body has this wisdom like time to get out of the river and birth this baby on land um isn't that yeah. beautiful though oh I was like so, so touched when they were telling me and they didn't want to tell their story because they almost believe like no one should know like that was the history and now we have medicine and I said to them no 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 your stories are beautiful we need to tell them more yeah 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 absolutely absolutely um oh and I just love the the Balinese they're such a like warm-hearted like caring beautiful people and I can see you know I, I can just I just like oh I'm like right there I'm like right there with the ladies in Bali like birthing in the water <sighs> that makes me like hot spring birth that's like a dream oh. of mine, hot spring birth. <laughs> that would be beautiful too, right? Yeah. We, we actually, I don't know if you saw it, but we recently just posted a video, a beautiful woman who herself is a midwife. I met in Japan just before COVID, like right before, and she birthed in the sea. I and did. she birthed in the sea, right? Just a day after the big, like we call it a hurricane here. They call it, you know, a, other names over there, but those seas were rough and she found those beautiful rocks and, and went in and birthed in nature. So it's wonderful to see people finding where they need to give birth when they open themselves up to really exploring and not being conditioned by what is expected from media or a system. But really, again, it's back to listening to that intuitive wisdom. Absolutely. And I did watch that video. I was so touched. I was just like, oh my gosh, I was a little worried for her. I'm like, she's going to get sucked out to sea. And it's like, <laughs> she's clearly not worried about it. Her partner is there. Her kids were there playing on the rocks. And it's just this beautiful like harmony with nature and the waves. And I can imagine like her body and the waves sort of moving again as like one one creature in union. It's an incredible, incredible video. Yeah. Um, I'll make sure that I put the link to that on your site in the in the show notes for this so people can watch it because it was it's like a, a shivery shivery beautiful kind of experience watching that yeah so I, I want to get into um you know we've got about sort of half an hour left on our on our time today and I want to get into some of the some of the membership content and some of the exciting things there so I want to talk about for that for that I want to talk about sex after baby because you've got a whole book on this you've got a whole sort of like line of work and oh my gosh it is so common for people to say oh yeah our sex life was great before kids and then after kids no and I actually did a mom and tots fair once where all I did was sit at my booth and ask people like on a scale of one to ten where's your sex life at and half of them looked at me like what what sex life like you know what what no like we don't have a sex life and maybe 30 percent 30% of them were like, uh, definitely it's like not as good. And then there were like, you know, one out of 10 couples who were like, oh my God, it's so much better now. It is so, so, so much better now. Like we are absolutely in love and it's absolutely incredible. And I, you have some wisdom around how, how to actually support that and create that. And so I'm, I'm really excited to hear that. Ah, yes. And so important, right? Because I agree with you. Those are what you just stated you hear in people is the variation I always hear and all over the world. Like it's again, a common thing across cultures is some people come out of birth and sex just totally goes by the wayside. Other people really, really struggle and other people rock it. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview with me. There is so much more waiting for you. If you would like to access the bonus exclusive membership content, which includes the finale of this interview and some really exciting exercises, then please head over to bulletproofmoms.com slash member 
which will allow you to access not only the end of this interview, but also the video format, which has some really interesting visuals that don't necessarily, that don't make it through the processing in the audio, as well as the end of this interview, as well as bonus meditations, brain training tracks, and access to our online school, which includes courses like Relationship Reset, Circles of Commitment, How to Save Your Relationship and How to Save Your Marriage, How to Make Intelligent Decisions as a Single Mom When You Begin Dating Again, and many other courses, including the Joygasmic Birth Course, Your Complete Guide to Creating a Joyful, Ecstatic, pain-free and pleasurable birth. And you will also get to see the really silly dance that my son is doing in the background of me talking in this video. So I absolutely encourage you to join the membership. It is pay what you want and there is a wide range of payment options available. So if you are on a limited income, absolutely do not think that cash is a barrier to your ability. I'm sorry, I'm barely being able to keep it together because my son is just doing the silliest dance and it's totally worth it to upgrade just to see how ridiculous he is. Um, I absolutely love you guys and I'm so grateful to be able to make this content available for free and thank you so much to everyone who is already subscribed as a member and who allows me to continue doing this wonderful work and being of service to you all in this way. Thank you so much for your support. And the credit song from the beginning of the podcast is from a beautiful friend of mine who I met in um, La Cruz de Guanajuato. Well, <laughs> La Cruz... La Cruz de La Cruz de How does it go again? Mom, it's La Cruz de Wanacaxley. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that one. Oh my gosh. I used to I used to think of it as La Cruz de Wanacaxley, but um that's not how you pronounce it. It's really a terrible pronunciation. La Cruz for short, um, which is near Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and he's an absolutely incredible musical artist, so please go check out Sonny S O N N Y and his work on Spotify. There's also links to that in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for listening and I look forward to seeing you in the membership. Alex, you wanna say anything before we go? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's important to be silly and you can claim your silly back. We've got classes coming out on that too. So if you're still here and you're still listening, obviously there is some more engagement that you would like to be a part of. Please head over and join the membership. The link is in the show notes. So much love to you.